Welcome to Machine Learning, How the World Works. I want to talk about the elephant that's in the room, the, the uh, recession that is hitting us. The particular topic I want to talk about is financial irresponsibility. I want to explain, you know, we've heard uh, Greenspan call it, say, uh, irrational exuberance. I'm going to say financial irresponsibility because it's not even about exuberance anymore. It's about just pure irresponsibility in terms of debt management. Okay, so yesterday I talked about the unlimited resource. Today I want to talk about unemployment rates. Analysts are now saying from CBS News, uh, there was an article written which is called Unemployment Likely to Surge This Year, CBO says. Okay, the CBO is the forecasting portion of the uh, government, the, and it deals with budgets and oversight of budgets. And it, said, and it was said that it predicts in 2023 the unemployment rate could jump to 5.3%, 5.1%. But by 2033, the CBO anticipates that the yearly shortfall in tax revenues relative to the Spain would exceed $2.85 trillion. That's more than our de- deficit in 2022. Okay, how is that even possible? Well, CBO forecasts that the nation's public held debt will double to $46.4 trillion by 2033. So in 10 years, one decade from now, the national debt will be in excess of $46.4 trillion. Okay, let's put this in perspective. A trillion is 1,000 billions. So we're talking about $46,000 billion of national debt. And what that means then as a function of GDP is that we will now exceed GDP by over 118%. So we're right in the same ballpark as Japan was at 120%. And look how long it's taken Japan to get out of their depression, if they have got out of their depression, uh, which is running like 40, 40 years because of government spending and monetary policy that was affecting their money. Okay, so with 5.1% unemployment this year anticipated or projected, the next question is, is how is that going to affect foreclosures? Well, there's another article that was written. These are fairly uh, easy articles to find. What's the forecast for foreclosures in 2023, our prediction? And it's done by uh, Weltman. Okay, so their prediction is that foreclosures are going to climb, uh, but they don't really necessarily say about talk about impact. They just say that consumer um, debt is really high right now and interest rates are high and they foresee... Uh, pressures on homeowners, and as a result, in certain areas with over a million people, uh, 
in these areas, they, they see that there's going to be higher chances of foreclosure. So there's three factors that they talk about for their prediction of higher foreclosures. One, household debt. Consumer debt is larger due to rising rates. Home equity does not pay off consumer debt burden. Consumer debt for uh, credit cards have increased. Credit cards are terrible ways of financing debt. I cannot emphasize the importance of never owning a credit card. Just pay cash. Use a Visa card, but never have a credit card. Currently, credit cards are at 18%, some of them, and even higher. And with fees, penalties, and interest, they're such a weight, financial weight, that is pressed on the consumer that kills uh, disposable income and kills growth. So even though we have this huge spike in since uh, probably almost a 10-year increase on the housing prices um, where now people have lots of money and equity on their homes and some people are now loaning money from that equity and using that for um, financial, okay, financial um, aspect. The then also another factor is auto debt loans. They're very large. Um, that you know, new vehicle prices are have increased, and the financing for those vehicles have increased. And there are about five million people homes that are in the process of default. Government efforts are not slowing down to slow for uh, for forecast foreclosures. So they're not being able to slow that down. And so as a result, they're anticipating for 2023 to be up 6% from the previous quarter and up 22% from the year ago. So that's uh, from an article in Investors Observer. Despite efforts made by government agencies and policymakers to try and reduce foreclosure rates, we see an upward trend in foreclosure activity, says Rob Barker. Okay. Okay, I'm back. So, in that article, he states uh, that despite the efforts of the government, foreclosure rates are, are continuing to increase in an upward trend, says Ron Barber. Um, and then they, they talk about which major metro, uh, metros that have populations... Uh, of at least 1 million, where foreclosures rates are in the top 15 uh, highest nationwide. And they are in Cleveland, Ohio, which is number two, Chicago, Cleveland, Ohio, uh, Chicago, Illinois, Las Vegas, Nevada, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Riverside, California. And as of March 2023, one in every 3,813 properties had a forced culture fi- uh, filing. <clears throat> so that's a, that's a pretty a, a, a massive trend if you're talking nationwide. It's not a localized effect. Uh, so the, the, the question is, is, well, what kind of impact will that have on 
housing prices, and I'm going to talk about that next. Um, they He did say in this article uh, at the very beginning, he said, um, Today, releases in quarter one of two, 2023 U.S. foreclosure market report shows that a total of 95,712 U.S. properties with foreclosure filings during the first quarter of 2023 up 6%, up 22% year. And we did talk about that. It said also, also shows a total of 36,617 U.S. properties with foreclosure filings in March of 2023. Um, so everything is up in terms of foreclosures. Uh, they talked about how many foreclosure starts in quarter one of 2023. California had the largest at 6,867, followed by Texas, 6,764, followed by Florida, 5,724, New York, 4,345, Illinois, 4,006. Um The states with the highest foreclosure rates were Illinois, Delaware, New Jersey, Maryland, and Nevada. And they just keep playing with numbers and talking about how just kind of isolate different particular areas of interest. REOs, the greatest number of REOs with foreclosures were in Michigan, Illinois, California, Pennsylvania, and New York. Um, longest average foreclosure timelines were in Louisiana, Hawaii, New York, Kentucky, and New Jersey. States with the highest foreclosure rates in 2022 were Illinois, Delaware, Nevada, and New Jersey. So it does paint kind of a, a, a picture that there's a problem starting to emerge. Now, how bad is the hemorrhaging? Well, the economists will just tell you this is a correction, and you know the Fed will tell you that they're uh, adjusting for higher inflation and these these type of things. But the real impact will be uh, whether or not the consumer can recover from these corrections. We were able to recover from twenty two thousand eight, but there was. A significant number of people that lost their homes that had to move to rentals, and I will cover that that uh, particular case too. So, falling house prices. Okay, falling house prices. There's an article written by Forbes called "Experts Predict What the Housing Market Will Look Like in 2023." So, how will it look like, Mr. Forbes? For sale, homes will remain high priced with national. Uh, annual median price for 2023 expected to advance another 5.4%, less than half the pace in 2023. So it's it's not going to move in a downward price, but it's uh, decelerating. So it's like you have, you're going up a slope and let's say you're riding on a, a snowmobile and you want to try to hit that summit. Well, if you got enough momentum, you're going to make it to the top and then you can make your turn and, and go down. But 
where it gets really dangerous is if you're on that snowmobile and you're trying to summit it and you don't have enough momentum and you know you're not going to get to the top, you could get stranded on the side of the hill or even worst case, you could uh, begin rolling your snowmobile down. And that's called a mania or a panic. Now, I personally think we're in a bad situation because of the fact that there was so much damage financially in 2008. The banks never firmed up and got solid. Uh, you've had a inflation period, but our currency became super weak with uh, increased monetary uh, money supply exceeding $20 trillion. And the fact that you had a, a rapid increase in price prices. So surge in prices of almost everything has affected our buying capability. And as a result, we, we buy less with the money that we have. Our purchase power parity has decreased and um, our wages have not increased fast enough to offset the rise in inflation. Now, the effect of this also is a slowdown is the the rising in uh, foreclosures and the and the slowdown in the housing market because there's about a shortage of a 3.5 million homes is that the rentals are projected to increase 6%. And so this is terrible for people who are have a multi-family housing that are renting homes or uh, in apartments is that they're having now to pay higher prices. Now the higher prices are putting pressure on single income or double income families because they now have to pay more for their rental agreements and contracts and that leaves them less money to pay for uh, food, recreation, uh, and other essentials such as um, retirement. Home prices won't necessarily, in the this article said, home prices won't necessarily fall everywhere, but a combination of relatively high rates and weak home buyer demand will probably push prices down nationwide. And that's just going to be an absolute given if, if the Fed continues to raise interest rates. If interest rates now are at 7.3% and they move to double digit, there most definitely will be a drop in prices, and that will not be a slow drop. It'll be a cliff drop. Foreclosure rates will remain at historical low levels in 2023, comprising less than 1% of all mortgages. Um, yeah, that's that's okay, but the 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 other analyst was saying that foreclosure rates will increase through 2023 as the effects of rising interest rates are going to impact. And and also, the thing that I haven't talked about is the fact that when interest rates are rising, taxes are going to be rising. And that's because government spending is increased. So the fact that the, the budgets have increased will also impact um, taxation and taxes will rise. And that will put pressure on companies give them less disposable income to pay for employment. So unemployment will rise as the pressures of taxes can increase. So the the social programs that are being pushed by the government will be expensive and they will raise taxes. And as a result of that, um, 
uh, there will be rising unemployment as taxes increase. Gross domestic product will be hold at 1.3. That's nothing to brag about. Uh, in, in fact, a decade ago, GDP was at 2%, and and the government was saying, oh, it's really much higher than that. It's more like 3%, and some were even saying as high as 5 But it wasn't that high. It's always been around 2%, and now with the Democrats in power, it's 1.3%. So we can see production is not keeping pace. It's not even keeping pace to uh, the growth rates a decade ago. So they and they even admit to that in in Forbes. It says roughly half the typical historical pace of two point five. Okay, I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with two point five. I think it's a little lower. I think it was uh, from what I saw when I got the 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 data, it was around two percent. Um, but you know I'm not sure how they they calculated their curve uh, to get the two point five. But let's say they they'd use some. Um, binomial curve fitting or maybe they used uh, Bayesian Gaussian and and they're saying okay you know we think that the 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 historical pace maybe in the last five years is 2.5 or maybe in the prior 10 years or maybe they're looking back 20 years to get that 2.5 after eclipsing seven percent in late 2022 the 30-year fixed mortgage will settle at 5.7 percent as the Fed slows the pace of the rate hikes to control inflation. There, that is lower than the pre-pandemic historical rate of 8%. Man, if you see 8%, it's going to hurt. I remember when home mortgages were 8% and I had a $145,000 home and I was paying close to $1,100 to $1,200 a month. Of course, I was in a 15-year uh, fixed mortgage, but it was so painful every month to come up with that money and then also have the money for uh, a car payment. And I was making the most money I'd ever made. And I would ask my wife, how is it possible we have no money? And then when we break it down, uh, I would see $600 going to a car payment and 1200 going to a house payment and then food and everything and by the time I was done adding up all my numbers I was lucky to have any move money at all left over okay bright MLS forecast suggests that there are 4.87 million home sales in 2023 down 6% compared to 2022 so things are slowing down uh, in terms of the, the housing market okay so where is the big elephant in the room that's junk bonds. Okay, there's an article by Bloomberg, and it's called Junk Bond Security Maturities Shrink to Record Low as Debt Mountain Grows. Okay, so even that title doesn't sound positive. So what's happened is the average time to maturity for high-yield debt has fallen to 5.8 or 5.18 years, the shortest it's been since Bloomberg started tracking its high-yield corporate index in 1987. Okay, so why are they shortening that time period? Well, because it's about risk. If I give you $100,000 and I extend that out too long of a period of time, 
I'm exposing myself to that risk for a long period of time. And the chances of that money coming back to me uh, or returning back is uh, decreasing as the probability of time itself works against me. So if I shorten that down and I can get faster turn cycles, it's like inventory. Uh, You measure whether or not you have lots of inventory or liability in your inventory by how many turns are occurring. So how many times do you, does your inventory turn or cycle through the complete inventory? So that goes from the point of procurement to the point of distribution. Well, you can think of money as kind of this uh, inventory of how many times it can turn within a certain period of time. And so what they've done is they've shortened that period of time so that they can turn their money, they can invest it, they can get it back, and so forth. Um, what that does for corporations who are managing using that that junk bond debt is that it's putting more pressure on them to get the returns back in a faster time period. And so more companies are probably getting disqualified from getting that uh, uh, loans and they're expected to you know produce these yields. Now, if that turns out to be a stabilizing effect, then pension funds, which are have trillions of dollars invested in to junk bond market seeking cash flow income will be very appreciative. At the same time, if this is indicative or indication of these shorter cycles that the risk factors are higher to default, then we could see a that the beginnings of a correction in the junk bond market where uh, bad loans are now defaulting and they have historically defaulted every 10 years, and they average about uh, 10%. But with COVID, I think there was a delay because the, uh, the, the economy slowed down, and, and that may have affected the junk bong uh, correction. So with government money, et cetera, that may have slowed down when the correction occurs because we didn't see a correction in the last decade. But that doesn't mean we won't see that a correction in the near future as pressures increase due to higher interest rates, uh, credits becoming tighter, and uh, profit margins are shrinking. So the return to deflation or depression economics makes more sense that companies will now look to Larger companies to serve investors will look to larger companies to survive the economic slowdown, and uh, margin profit margins will decrease. And innovation should be uh, driving change quicker. Uh, more companies will will be acquired quicker that are have a profit margin. Uh, money will flow there faster, and. Things will change hands again as ownerships uh, uh, try to consolidate and merge to get bigger and to survive. That can have a good effect, uh, but it also can have a bad effect because uh, anytime, you know, it's like we talked about in the prior podcast of the spaceship trying to get off planet Earth with a certain number of seats. If the group remains cooperative and they can keep building resources and the startups and the high tech and the and the new companies that are, are finding market niches can work to build resource and, and the group 
becomes wealthy collectively, uh, which is the uh, small business paradox where uh, small businesses are innovating and producing wealth more than the big businesses combined or large businesses. If you can facilitate that cooperation, then uh, uh, the whole group will probably get off planet Earth. But if they become competitive against each other where uh, large businesses do not help small businesses and the banks then only help large businesses but cut out the small businesses, then the paradox uh, begins to affect and uh, income from generated and wealth through new jobs from the small businesses uh, don't, don't uh, surface. And so now you have a problem. Uh, you have a problem because the, the big businesses aren't getting the innovations necessary to drive growth. And so you have monopolistic effects like we, we see in oil right now where oil prices remain high even though there is a huge amount of supply that can be harnessed uh, to drive down oil prices. And that's pushing now green energy and hydrogen and a lot of these technologies are very expensive to implement and have high cost to the taxpayer and also to the consumer. But there's little choice other than that because of the stranglehold on uh, big oil and coal. So um, it'll be interesting to see how hydrogen plays out that if they can combine low energy nuclear reaction with the generation of hydrogen and then do it in a distributed uh, decentralized micro power generator approach that would then allow for on demand based on uh, supply and as the consumer sees that there are distribution areas to get uh, fuel for uh, powering their semi or their trucks then the adoption or move from diesel to hydrogen will be quick if it is uh, a result of pressure from government and also from commerce that they can't bring diesel trucks into certain cities because of regulation then there could be a move that way towards hydrogen out of uh, governmental force but that's usually not a good way to go because the uh, because the free market drives innovation through cost reduction and, and advantage. And so if there was an advantage to hydrogen, it would have been uh, adopted sooner. The fact that they didn't put an onboard reformer in the semi producing, converting water to hydrogen or methane to hydrogen um, is a paradox because it could be done much cheaper and at a larger scale for all the semis with the fuel cell stacks and give them a much greater range of travel, like say maybe 2,000 miles per tank fill of, of water or uh, methane with the hydrogen reformer. And maybe you use your lithium cells to do the reforming and uh, and then you use your your fuel stock, which would be either water or methane. Now they're using methane in tractors and it's worked very well. Uh, Israel had a methane truck that was driven off of a, a liquid methane uh, converted through an onboard reformer, and it worked well. But the question is, is can it produce the electricity powerful enough to pull a truck? And so the reformer would have to supplement the, the hydrogen. It couldn't 
probably produce the hydrogen fast enough to move be moved through the fuel cell, and that's probably the limitation of of using the reformer. But at the same time, it could be working like a hybrid. It's uh, you know pressurizing the lithium batteries or pressurizing the reformer hydrogen that it's it's building and it could use a two cycle stage where it sets up the hydrogen pressurizes it extends the mileage of the vehicle but at some point you run out of mileage and then you have to go refill your hydrogen tanks so the reformer then extends mileage and uh, that could be the initial uh, approach to the hydrogen semi um, is to get that 2,000-mile range exceeding possibly the 1,000-mile top range of any EV semi. Anyway, those are my thoughts.